Blog Talk Radio. Welcome back to Zion's Redemption Radio Network. I'm your host, Mark Lichtenwalter. This is Fundamentally Mormon. Today we're going to be reading Chapter 6 of Pre-Existence. We'll be starting on page 65 and reading to page 78. The title of the chapter is Birth of the Spirit. The reader portion of the program is 30 minutes long. And then we'll get into the reading and commentary portion of the program when we finish with the reader portion of the program. The guest call-in number is 917-889-8827, and the phone lines will be open during the entirety of the show. Thank you for listening. of pre-existence. Pages 65 to 78, the questions arise in the minds of many. Did my existence begin at birth? And if it had a pre-existence, when did it begin? The scriptures are very clear that we are to call God our Father in heaven, and that he calls us his children. This would clearly indicate that we are the offspring of God and therefore made in his image. Bruce R. McConkie Pre-existence is the term commonly used to describe the pre-mortal existence of the spirit children of God the Father. Speaking of this prior existence in the spirit sphere, the first presidency of the church, Joseph F. Smith, John R. Winder, and Anton H. Lund said, All men and women are in the similitude of the universal father and mother, and are literally the sons and daughters of deity. As spirits they were that offspring of celestial parentage. Doctrine and Covenants man was also in the beginning with God. Intelligence, or the light of truth, was not created or made, neither indeed can be. Brigham Young, mankind are organized of element designed to endure to all eternity. It never had a beginning and never can have an end. There never was a time when this matter, of which you and I are composed, was not in existence, and there never can be a time when it will pass out of existence. It cannot be annihilated. Journal of Discourses The life that is within us is a part of an eternity of life, and is organized spirit, which is clothed upon by tabernacles, thereby constituting our present being, which is designed for the attainment of further intelligence. The matter composing our bodies and spirits has been organized from the eternity of matter that fills immensity. Journal of Discourses Urson F. Whitney Nothing will forever remain nothing and no school of philosophy or system of evolution could ever make it otherwise. But matter and spirit are eternal, self-existent substances, and can neither be created nor destroyed. Man is the direct offspring of deity, and the being who is the begetter of his spirit in the eternal worlds, and the architect of his mortal tabernacle in this, 
Broussard, me conky. Our spirit bodies had their beginning in pre-existence when we were born as the spirit children of God our Father. Through that birth process, spirit element was organized into intelligent entities. The bodies so created have all the parts of mortal bodies. Person Pratt, Journal of Discourses, the Mormons have a peculiar doctrine in regard to our pre-existence, different from the views of their Christian world, so-called, we do not believe that man had a pre-existence. It is believed, by the religious world, that man, both body and spirit, begins to live about the time that he is born into this world, or a little before, that then is the beginning of life. They believe, that the Lord, by a direct act of creation, formed, in the first place, man out of the dust of the ground, and they believe that man is possessed of both body and spirit, by the union of which he became a living creature. Suppose we'd met this doctrine concerning the formation of the body from the dust, then how was the spirit formed? Why, says one, we suppose it was made by direct act of creation, by the Almighty himself, that he molded the spirit of man, formed and finished it in a proper likeness to inhabit the tabernacle he had made out of the dust. Have you any account of this in the Bible? Do the scriptures declare that the spirit was formed at the time the tabernacle was made? No. All the tabernacles of the children of men that were ever formed, from remote generations, from the days of Adam to this time, have been formed out of the earth. We are of the earth earthy. The tabernacle has been organized according to certain principles and laws of organization, with bones, and flesh, and sinews, and skin. Now, where do you suppose all these tabernacles got their spirits? Does the Lord make a new spirit every time a tabernacle is made? If so, the work of creation, according to the belief of Christendom, did not cease on the seventh day. If we admit their views, the Lord must be continually making spirits to inhabit all the tabernacles of the children of men. He must make something like 1,000 millions of spirits every century. He must be working at it every day, for there are many hundreds of individuals being born into the world every day. Does the Lord create a new spirit every time a new tabernacle comes into the world? That does not look reasonable, nor godlike. But how is it, you inquire? Why the fact is, that being that animates this body, that gives life and energy, and power to move, to act, and to think, that being that dwells within this tabernacle is much older than what the tabernacle is. That spirit that now dwells within each man, and each woman, of this vast assembly of people, is more than a thousand years old, and I would venture to say, that it is more than five thousand years old. But how was it made? When was it made? And by whom was it made? If our spirits existed thousands of years ago and dash if they began to exist and dash if there were a beginning to their organization, by what process was this organization carried on? Through what medium, and by what system of laws? Was it by direct creation of the Almighty? Or were we framed according to a certain system of laws, in the same manner as our tabernacles? If we were to reason from analogy and dash, if we had met analogical reasoning in the question, what would we say? We should say, that our spirits were formed by generation, the same as the body or tabernacle of flesh and bones. Person Pratt, Journal of Discourses, 
There is something truly cheering in contemplating the previous existence of man, much more so than in the old idea of the sectarian world m that God is constantly creating, that he did not finish his work some five or six thousand years ago, but that he is creating all the time. They will tell you that they have spirits in their bodies capable of existing after the bodies have crumbled back to Mother Earth. Ask them the origin of these spirits and they will tell you they originated about the time the infant tabernacles of flesh and bone originated. Hence, according to their ideas, God has all the time been creating about one person every 20 seconds, which I believe is about the average rate that persons are born into the world. In other words, about three a minute, and according to their ideas the Lord is engaged in making spirits with this rapidity, and sending them here to this world. I cannot, for my part, see that there is any more absurdity in believing that he made them thousands of years before they came here, than to suppose that he made them just before they came here, and entered into the tabernacle. One can certainly not be more unreasonable than the other. Because we cannot recollect our former existence is no proof whatever that we did not have one. I can prove this. In regard to this present existence, what person is there in this congregation who can remember the first six months of his or her infancy? There is not a man nor a woman on the face of the earth, I presume, who can remember this. But no person will argue, on that account, that he did not exist at that time. Oh no, says the objector, that would be an improper method of arguing. Our memories have nothing to do with a previous existence. If we remember it, all good. If we do not, it does not alter that existence. If we were born in heaven before this world was made, the question might arise as to the nature of that birth. Was it by command that the spiritual substance, scattered through space, was miraculously brought together, and organized into a spiritual form, and called a spirit? Is that the way we were born? Is that the way that Jesus, the firstborn of every creature, was brought into existence? Oh no, we were all born after the same manner that we are here, that is to say, every person that had an existence before he came here had a literal father and a literal mother, a personal father and a personal mother. Hence the Apostle Paul, in speaking to the heathen at Ephesus, says, we are his offspring. Now I look upon every man and woman that have ever come here on this globe, or that ever will come, as having a father and mother in the heavens by whom their spirits were brought into existence. But how long they resided in the heavens before they came here is not revealed. We will refer now to the 19th chapter of Job, to show that there were sons of God before this world was made. The Lord asked Job a question in relation to his pre-existence, saying, Where wast thou when I laid the cornerstone of the earth? Where were you, Job? when all the morning stars sang together, and all the sons of God shouted for joy, when the nucleus of this creation was commenced? If Job had been indoctrinated into all the mysteries of modern religionists, he would have answered this question by saying, Lord, why do you ask me such a question? I had no existence at that time. But the very question implies the existence of Job, but he had forgotten where he was, and the Lord put the question as though he didn't exist showing to him in the declaration, that, when he laid the cornerstone of the earth, there were a great many sons of God there, and that they all shouted together for joy. Who were these sons of God? They certainly were not the fleshly descendants of Adam, 
for he had not then been placed in the Garden of Eden. Who were they then? They were Jesus, the elder brother, and all the family that have come from that day until now and dash millions on millions and dash, and all who will come hereafter, and take tabernacles of flesh and bones until the closing up scene of this creation. All these were present when God commenced this creation. Jesus was also there and superintended the work, for by him God made the worlds. Consequently he must have been there, and all felt joyful, and shouted for joy. What produced their joy? It was for knowledge. They knew that the creation then being formed was for their abiding place, where their spirits would go and take upon them tabernacles of flesh and bones, and they rejoiced at the prospect. They had more knowledge then than the world of mankind had now. They saw that it was absolutely necessary for their advancement in the scale of being to go and take tabernacles of flesh and bone. They saw that their spirits without tabernacles never could be made perfect, never could be placed in a position to attain to great power, dominion and glory like their father. And understanding that the earth was being created to give them the opportunity of reaching his position, they sang together for joy. They composed a hymn, and if we could have a copy of it, we should no doubt find that it was a hymn in relation to the construction of the earth and its future habitation by those spirits in the form of men. I should like to see that hymn myself, and if we had it we would get our choir here to sing it. I think it would impart a good deal of information to us, and perhaps we would shout for joy again. Brigham Young, Journal of Discourses, I want to tell you, each and every one of you, that you are well acquainted with God our Heavenly Father, or the Great Elohim. You are all well acquainted with Him, for there is not a soul of you but what has lived in His house and dwelt with Him year after year. And yet you are seeking to become acquainted with Him, when the fact is, you have merely forgotten what you did know. I told you a little last Sabbath about forgetting things. There is not a person here today but what is a son or a daughter of that being. In the spirit world their spirits were first begotten and brought forth, and they lived there with their parents for ages before they came here. This, perhaps, is hard for many to believe, but it is the greatest nonsense in the world not to believe it. If you do not believe it, cease to call him father, and when you pray, pray to some other character. It would be inconsistent in you to disbelieve what I think you know, and then to go home and ask the father to do so and so for you. The scriptures which we believe have taught us from the beginning to call him our father, and we have been taught to pray to him as our father, in the name of our eldest brother whom we call Jesus Christ, the saviour of the world. And that saviour, while here on earth, was so explicit on this point, that he taught his disciples to call no man on earth father, for we have one which is in heaven. He is the saviour, because it is his right to redeem the remainder of the family pertaining to the flesh on this earth. If any of you do not believe this, tell us how and what we should believe. If I am not telling you the truth, please do tell me the truth on this subject, and let me know more than I do know. If it is hard for you to believe, if you wish to be Latter-day Saints, admit the fact as I state it, and do not contend against it. Try to believe it, because you will never become acquainted with our Father, never enjoy the blessings of His Spirit, never be prepared to enter into His presence until you most assuredly believe it. Therefore you had better try to believe this great mystery about God. Joseph Fielding Smith, we lived in the presence of God in the Spirit before we came here. We desired to be like Him, 
we saw him. We were in his presence. There is not a soul who has not seen both the Father and the Son, and in the spirit world we were in their presence. But it became necessary for us to gain experiences which could not be obtained in that world of spirits, and so we were accorded the privilege of coming down here upon this earth. When we lived in the presence of our Father, we were not like him. We were just spirits. We did not have bodies of flesh and bones, but he did. He was a glorious personage with a body of flesh and bones, his spirit and body being inseparably connected, and his body shining with a brightness beyond the brightness of the sun. We saw him in his majesty, and when the plan of salvation was presented to us, it was made known to us that if we would pass through this mortal existence, and be true and faithful to all the commandments our Father would give unto us and dash thus keeping the second estate as we had kept the first and dash we, too, eventually would have the privilege of coming back into his presence with bodies of flesh and bones which would also shine with the brightness of the sun, to share in all the fullness of his kingdom. Brigham Young, Journal of Discourses, things were first created spiritually. The Father actually begat the spirits, and they were brought forth and lived with him. Then he commenced the work of creating earthly tabernacles, precisely as he has been created in this flesh himself by partaking of the coarse material that was organized and composed this earth until his system was charged with it. Consequently the tabernacles of his children were organized from the coarse materials of this earth. When the time came that his firstborn, the Savior, should come into the world and take a tabernacle, the Father came himself and favored that spirit with a tabernacle instead of letting any other man do it. The Savior was begotten by the Father of his spirit, by the same being who is the father of our spirits, and that is all the organic difference between Jesus Christ and you and me. And the difference there is between our father and us consists in that he has gained his exaltation and has obtained eternal lives. The principle of eternal lives is an eternal existence, eternal duration, eternal exaltation. Endless are his kingdoms, endless his thrones and his dominions, and endless are his posterity, they never will cease to multiply from this time henceforth and forever. Joseph Fielding Smith, man is the greatest of all the creations of God. He is his offspring. We are all his children. It was made known through the prophet Joseph Smith and Sidney Rigdon, who saw it in vision, that the inhabitants of this earth and other worlds are begotten sons and daughters unto God ought to put an end and dash so far as Latter-day Saints are concerned and dash to all this nonsense prevailing in the world regarding the origin of man. Man, I say, as the offspring of God, is the greatest of all his creations. He is greater than the moon, the sun, and the stars, which are the work of the fingers of God, and are made for the benefit of man. It is man's place to rule, and stand at the head of all other dominions, powers, creations, and beings, which the Lord our God has created. Person Pratt, Journal of Discourses, but when we learned through the revelations of God that instead of man's coming up from the poor worm of the dirt, he descended from the being who controls the universe by his power, that he descended from that being who is the fullness of all knowledge, and who sways his scepter over more planetary systems than there are sands upon the seashore. We are his offspring, we are his sons and his daughters, we are his children. He has begotten us, and we existed before the foundation of the world. Who among the wise, and the great, and those who have studied as far as human wisdom can at present reach, 
Who among them can tell the origin of life? Who among them can tell the origin of this intelligence in man, this reasoning power, and this perceptive faculty, that enables man to grasp not only a great many things pertaining to the laws connected with their own little earth, but enables him to launch out into the regions of space for hundreds of millions of miles, and find out and understand many things that govern worlds afar off. Is there no man that can tell the origin of this intelligence? Let the trained collegiate mind, whose lifetime has been occupied in study, come forth and tell us how man obtains the first principle of knowledge, how came knowledge to be connected with matter, how came knowledge connected with flesh and bones, and blood, and skin, and sinew? That knowledge and dash that intelligence is godlike. God is the author, he is father of our spirits, and we were begotten before this world rolled into existence. Once we dwelled in the presence of our father, once we were enabled to lift our songs of praise in the celestial world, from which we emigrated, once we dwelt in the society of an innumerable convention of angels, upon a world that had passed through its stages, its ordeals, the same as this world is passing through its various mutations. That celestial world from which we came, is more perfect than this earth. It is organized after a celestial order, a higher order and glorified by the presence of immortal, glorified, celestial beings. That is our home, from that world we came. Verse and Pride, Journal of Discourses, We are the offspring of the Lord, but the rest of animated nature is not. We are just as much the sons and daughters of God as the children in this congregation of the sons and daughters of their parents. We were begotten by Him. When? Before we were born in the flesh. This limited state of existence is not our origin, it is merely the origin of the tabernacle in which we dwelled. The mind we are possessed of, the being that is capable of thinking and reflecting, that is capable of acting according to the motives presented to it, that being which is immortal, which dwells within us, which is capable of reasoning from cause to effect, and which can comprehend, in some measure, the laws of its creator, as well as trace them out as exhibited in universal nature, that being, which we call the mind, existed before the tabernacle. Now, if they less than spirits of men greater than good exist after they leave this tabernacle, while the tabernacle lies moldering in the dust, why not exist before the tabernacle had any existence? Was it not just as easy for an existence to be given to spiritual personages before they took possession of bodies as it is for them to exist after the body decays? Yes, and these are our views, founded upon new revelation. Not the views of uninspired men, but founded upon direct revelation from God. Where did we exist before we came here? With God. Where does he exist? in the place John denominated heaven. What do we understand heaven to be? Not the place described by our Christian friends, beyond the bounds of time and space, for there is no such place. There never was, nor ever will be. But I mean a tangible world, a heaven that is perfect, a heaven with materials that have been organized and put together, sanctified and glorified as the residence and world where God resides. Born there? Yes, we were born there. Even our great Redeemer, whose death and sufferings we are this afternoon celebrating, was born up in yonder world before he was born of the Virgin Mary. Verse in Pride, Journal of Discourses, we are told that in the beginning man was created in the image of God, 
and we are also told that Jesus, the Son of God, was the express image of his Father. The doctrine that man, in his form and shape, is in the image of God, may be or may seem something new and strange to those who are not acquainted with the principles in this church. But why should not men resemble God is their question, seeing that we are his offspring? Would you expect that sons and daughters of this world would be like a horse, or like the fowls of the air, or the fish of the sea? Or would you expect them to resemble their parents, and be in their image and likeness? We, who compose this congregation, are all one family, and only a very small portion of the family of our Father and God. But when did he beget us? I answer before this world was made, not our flesh and bones, but that being called man that was created in the image and likeness of God, and who dwells in his mortal tabernacle. That being is the offspring of God, we were all begotten by him before this world was made. We then dwelt in his presence, and could behold his face as sons and fathers here on earth can behold each other. We then partook, in a measure, of his glory, and were acquainted with the glory and power of his kingdom. We were present with him in the grand and magnificent work of creation, and we saw and rejoiced in his hand and work. We sang praises in the presence of our Father and God, before we had tabernacles of flesh and bones. John Taylor, Journal of Discourses, such was the wickedness and corruptions of men in the early ages that it was necessary that God should sweep the face of the earth by a flood, in order that men might be deprived of their power to do evil. I have heard some people say that they thought it was very hard for God to do such a thing. I think it would have been very cruel on his part if he had not done it. Why? Because man is a dual being, associated with time and eternity, being in possession of a spirit as well as a body, and thus God is the God and Father of the spirits of all flesh that ever did exist or will have a being on the earth. It was necessary under certain circumstances that he should operate in his judgment upon the wicked whenever they should become as corrupt as they did at that time. Why so? For God is the God and Father of the spirits of all flesh, and all flesh at that time had corrupted itself. And would it be just for those unborn spirits to have to come and inhabit bodies of those unclean and corrupt people and have to suffer the judgments of God? No, it was not just. And it would be very reasonable for them to say, Father, look at that world of people. See their crimes, their degradation, their iniquity, their theft and robbery, their murders and whoredoms and every kind of evil. They have left the good and have gone to the bad, and the imaginations and thoughts of their hearts are evil. Father, is it proper that we should have to go there and inhabit such low, fallen, degraded bodies as they possess, and thus not have a fair chance upon the earth? No, says he, it is not. And I will destroy them and raise up another people. And hence, he destroyed them. Journal of Discourses Franklin D. Richards Journal of Discourses Why, as soon as the Lord has established his gospel and covenant, the spirits of the other world are seeking to come and dwell among us. They desire a parentage among the saints of the living God, where they can be welcomed with filial love and not repulsed by poeticide, where they can be brought up in the fear of God, with a hope of returning pure to the Father's presence, without being lost by blood guiltiness or their crimes, while in mortality. How do you think the spirits contemplate the necessity of a birth in the nations of the earth, where so much harlotry and whoredom exist? I tell you this very presumption of the country in which we live, 
that we shall not have those children to dwell in our midst and bear the name of Christ in the earth is a presumption against the very heavens and against those spirits of the just who are waiting to be made perfect through their sufferings in the flesh. Joseph Fielding Smith, the Lord has said, every spirit of man was innocent in the beginning, and God having redeemed man from the fall, man became again, in their infant state, innocent before God. This is speaking of the spirits of men when they were created, or born in the spirit, not when they were dwelling in the spirit world, for one third of them rebelled and were not innocent. When a child comes into this world, he is innocent as far as this mortal life is concerned, but children soon lose their innocence as they grow and come in contact with the world. Chapter 7 Different Grades of Intelligence Get into the reading and commentary. Birth of the Spirit, Chapter 6 of Pre-Existence, page 65 to 78. The questions arise in the minds of many. Did my existence begin at birth? And if it had a pre-existence, when did it begin? The scriptures are very clear that we are to call God our Father in heaven and that he calls us his children. This would clearly indicate that we are the offspring of God and therefore made in his image. Bruce R. McConkie stated in Mormon Doctrine, page 589, quote, Pre-existence is a term commonly used to describe the premortal existence of the spirit children of God the Father. Speaking of this prior existence in a spirit, a spirit sphere, the first presidency of the church speaking of Joseph F. Smith, John R. Winder, and Anthony H. Lund, said, quote, All men and women are in the similitude of the universal father and mother and are literally the sons and daughters of deity. So he's talk they're talking about God the eternal father and God the eternal mother. As spirits, they were offspring of celestial parentage. And let's see here. <clears throat> Man, His Origin and Destiny, pages 351 and 355. Oh, that's interesting. I, whatever. Okay. Doctrine and Covenants. Man was also in the beginning with God. Intelligence or the light of truth was not created or made, neither indeed can it be. And that's DNC 93, verse 29. So when people are like, well, why do we need prophets? Um, prophets reveal truth, and they clarify doctrine. Without prophets, people wander all over the place, and they come up with all kinds of crazy false doctrines. But people who think that they're prophets, who offer their logic in a speculation... They do the same thing. And the further away you get from a true prophet, the more the doctrine gets screwed up. That's why you need true prophets to help lead and guide people. But um, 
in the Old Testament, Moses said, would to God, or envious thou for my... Okay, so I'll just... There was like two guys prophesying, prophesying in the, the camp of Israel, and people were complaining about them. And Moses said, envious thou for my sake, would to God that all his children were prophets. That, combined with other scriptures in the Old and the New Testament, we can see that God does want his children to receive revelation and instruction from him. If you lack wisdom, ask God. You know, um, the testimony of Jesus Christ comes by the spirit of prophecy. Uh, When Jesus was like, who do you say that I am? And Peter says, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus says, flesh and blood hath not revealed this unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. So Peter received a revelation that Jesus was the Christ. He didn't just believe it because of all the signs and wonders. He believed it because God revealed it to him in a revelation. And Jesus says, upon this rock, which is the rock of revelation, not Jesus and not Peter, upon this rock, the rock of revelation, well, I build my church. It is upon revelation that we know true doctrine. And it is the role of prophets to edify and to correct doctrine, to teach correct doctrine. Anyway, continuing on, page 66. Brigham Young stated, Mankind are organized of element designed to endure to all eternity. It never had a beginning. It never can have an end. There never was a time when this matter of which you and I are composed was not in existence. And he's he's speaking truth because the elements are eternal, but the intelligence or the energy that we come from is eternal as well. And when it becomes self-aware, it becomes a spirit. But it never had a beginning, and that can never have an end. There can be an end of the spirit. Because there can come a point when you are disillusioned and you have an end of being self-aware. But the intelligence that we come from is eternal. And in order to retain the eternal nature of the spirit, it has to go back to kind of a similar point it was before it became a spirit. So when it becomes a spirit, and this is what I was shown, okay? I don't know how to prove this in scripture, I'm just telling you what God showed me. When the intelligence becomes self-aware, the feminine and the masculine energies separate like a, like a cell splits. And you have one female spirit who is self-aware and one male spirit who is self-aware. But when they become self-aware and they split, there begins to be an aging of the spirit because there is a beginning, there can be an end. So when God wants, uh, I don't know how they figured this out, but they've been doing this for a very long time, billions and billions and trillions of years, um, because there was no Big Bang, whatever. Anyway, but um, they figured out how to do something and they call it the uh, the sealing of the Holy Spirit of promise. So when Peter was told upon this rock, I, I will build my church. And he, he talked about giving him keys that what's whosoever thou shall seal up shall be sealed on heaven and earth. 
um, that, those were the sealing keys. And what the sealing keys are for is so that you can seal family groups together, but also, more importantly, you can seal by the sealing authority the masculine to the feminine and the feminine to the masculine. And this is the only way that you can receive your exaltation. The man cannot go there without the woman, and the woman cannot go there without the man. And because there are many more feminine who qualify for the higher blessings that need to be sealed to men, God allows plural celestial marriage, which is what I believe Joseph did. I don't believe that he had children with anybody um, outside of his marriage to Emma, but I do, I do believe that he was sealed to many women and that he was also sealed to men through the law of adoption. And what that is, and I'm sorry, I shouldn't have gone into this in the middle of this quote, but we'll get back to it in a minute. When Joseph Smith was sealed up and had his calling and election made sure, he was sealed to God. And he became the link on the earth, the mortal, the mortal man sealed up to the Father and to the Son and to the gods above and uh, thus, turn it, uh, and when people were sealed to Joseph in the law of adoption, they were sealed up in a chain that went straight back to Father Adam. You didn't have to like go through all these genealogies and try to dig up histories and all that sort of stuff. That's not what it's about. Now, some of us can uh, go back to Father Adam. I have two lines one through Joseph and one through Judah that goes back to Father Adam, goes back to the script, uh, to the scriptures and then all the way back to, you know, through King David and all that. Um, but that's not, that's not what Joseph was talking about when it, he said that we had to be sold back to Father Adam. He was talking about the law of adoption, and by the 1890s, they didn't understand this doctrine anymore because God put blinders on them. And Wilford Woodruff did away with it. The church was running amok with the doctrine anyway. But during the days of Joseph Smith, he was the link on the earth for the law of adoption so that the hearts of the children on earth could turn to the fathers and mothers in heaven. And thus creating a binding link between the two. When I saw the father and the son in in physicality when I was taken up and I had the father lay his hands upon my head I asked him what he was doing and he said he was sealing me up unto himself that I might have my calling and election made sure and that I might be sealed up unto eternal life and I became the link at this time on the earth for the law of adoption Anyway, so let's see here. There never was a time when this matter of which you and I are composed was not in existence. There never can be a time when it will pass out of existence. It cannot be annihilated. Journal of Discourses, Volume 3, page 356. And I think Brigham Young is kind of speculating here. The self-awareness of the spirit can end. 
one of my friends, Eugene Richardson, uh, says he got a revelation about the matter. Now, I have not gotten this revelation, but I'm just going to tell you what he said. When a spirit has rebelled sufficient to be cast off into outer darkness, he is not cast off into the depths of space. He is taken to the event horizon of a black hole, and he is cast into the event horizon. I don't know if that's true. Seems plausible. Anyway, continuing on. The life that is within us is a part of an eternity of life and is organized spirit which is clothed upon by tabernacles, thereby constituting our present being which is designed for the attainment of further intelligence. The matter composing our bodies and spirits has been organized from the eternity of matter that fills immensity. Journal of Discourses, Volume 7, page 285. Orson F. Whitney in the Contributor Magazine, Volume 3, page 269 stated, Nothing will ever from, nothing will forever remain nothing, and no school of philosophy or system of evolution can ever make it otherwise. But matter and spirit are eternal. Yes, they are. And you know, they get this from the King Fuller Discourse. And hopefully from Revelation. That's how I understand. In fact, I think it's funny. I know I'm going off on these tangents today. God has revealed to me many things. And then after he reveals it to me, and I'm like, wow, that's awesome. I love this. He will lead me to where it was that somebody else talked about it. And I'll be like, wow. And it's cool because it's like confirmation to me that the revelation did come from God. I mean, the confirmation of the Holy Spirit is there, but just that God reveals something and then he leads me to where somebody else received, well, mostly Joseph Smith or in the scriptures or whatever, and I will have never had considered it before, and then I find it after he showed it to me, and it's just confirmation, like a double whammy, like, hey, this is true. I led you to this, and now I'm leading you. I'm, I'm teaching you about this. Now I'm leading you to where I've told other people about this so that you can have a confirmation in, in multiple different ways. Anyway, but the matter and spirit are eternal self-existent substances and can neither be created nor, the, nor destroyed. Man is the direct offspring of deity, of a being who is the begetter of his spirit and the eternal worlds, and the architect of his mortal tabernacle in this. So <clears throat> that was Orson F. Whitney that, that stated all that. Now, when God took me up and he, I wanted to know where he was before the Big Bang. That's what started this whole process of me finding out about these things. And God took me up and he taught me that intelligence is eternal, energy is eternal, and and matter is eternal. It cannot be created. It has to be organized. And when God talks about creation in the scriptures, he's not talking about creating out of thin air. He's, he's talking about organizing matter. Our spirit bodies had their beginning in the pre-existence when we were born as spirit children of, of God our Father. Now, 
We weren't born in the way that women bear children in physicality, in mortality. We're born in light. When I saw the intelligence become self-aware, I saw a flash of light and I saw two uh, spheres of energy separate and God told me that this is the birth of the spirit. This is the masculine and this is the feminine and every intelligence has a masculine and feminine component to it and when it becomes self-aware it separates. I don't know why, that's the process. That's what happens naturally. It doesn't, there's nothing that causes it, as far as I know. There's nothing that causes that other than it, it reaches a state of awareness somehow, I don't know how, and when that happens, there's a process, and then, and then God the Eternal Father, God the Eternal Mother have a system to guide those spirits to help them to become more than just self-aware. And that is a pre-existent spirit, and eventually they will be given the opportunity to inhabit mortal flesh. And if they prove faithful, eventually inhabit eternal flesh through the process of resurrection. Continuing on, through that birth process of spirit element was organized into intelligent entities. Actually, I'm going to go back. Our spirit bodies had their beginning in pre-existence when we were born as the spirit children of God our Father. Through that birth process, spirit element was organized into intelligent entities. Okay, he has that backwards. Like, and, you know, these guys, some of them are speculating. Maybe they just misspoke. Um, but I don't believe that Bruce R. McConkie was a prophet. And by the way, before he died, he was scared. Because he didn't believe he was a prophet either. And in fact, uh, he gave a talk, which I have recorded on my TikTok. And he says uh, something to the effect of... Um, when he sees Jesus in the flesh, he will know no more than the de- than he does now that Jesus the Christ, the Son of the Living God. So he had a ton of faith that Jesus was who he said he was, but he's basically saying, "I, when I see him face to face, I will not know then any more than I know now that Jesus is the Christ." which shows that Bruce R. McConkie, and this is his last talk, that he had not yet seen the Savior. Of course, they can't say that because they have to be prophets, seers, and revelators see. And you know, Bruce R. McConkie was a very intelligent man, although he lied on specific things, like the Adam-God doctrine. He lied. Did not have the fruits of being a prophet, seer, and revelator, but he pretended to be one. Continuing on, through that birth process, I'm going to say it how he should have said it. Intelligent 
element was organized into spiritual entities. But that's not what he said. The bodies so created have all the parts of mortal bodies. Actually, no, they don't. I, this man, these people who think that they can run around and just make crap up so that you believe that they're who they say they are. I mean, I could do that too, but that's what they did. In fact, I was thinking about it. The only way that you'll ever know that I am a prophet, seer, and revelator isn't because of any works that I do. Because false prophets, false seers, and false revelators can fake a whole bunch of crap. And in fact, wicked prophets can do miracles. Now, I have done miracles. I have healed the sick. I have... Uh, I haven't quite raised the dead, but there was a woman that was dying and she stopped breathing. And I think that there was still life in her and I commanded her to be whole and to be healed. And she breathed when I said amen. Page 67, and we are at 10% of the reading. So, oh my gosh, my wife's going to have to read today. <laughs> Orson Pratt, Journal of Discourses, Volume 1, page 54. The Mormons have a peculiar doctrine in regard to our pre-existence, different from the views of the Christian world, so-called. That's because Christians are apostate from the true doctrine that Jesus taught. Um, and I'm not apologetic about that. And I do not consider myself a Christian after the manner of the Christian world. What Mormonism is, is a restoration of the truth because the Christian world has gone so far off the path. Continuing. Who do not believe that man had a pre-existence? See, the, the Christians don't. Well, some might, some fringe groups might, but for the most part, the Christian world does not believe in the pre-existence, even though it's in Scripture. But see, they're taught by the traditions of men mingled with Scripture, and they run amok with their traditions and do not get revelation for themselves. In fact, most of them don't even believe prophets are a thing. Uh, what, what, what do you need prophets for? There's no reason for prophets, even though Ephesians chapter 4 says that prophets and apostles would be for the edification of the saints, for the correcting of doctrine until all come in the unity of the faith. But, uh, oh, we don't need them because we don't got them. Anyway, continuing on. By the, uh, by the way, Joseph Smith did restore many things, but he could only do as much as the saints were ready for, and they were not ready for all that had to be revealed so that Zion could be redeemed. Joseph laid the foundation for the redemption of Zion, but he did not build upon the foundation the fullness of the work of God. There's a lot more that had to be done and the LDS Church has part of it, but they don't have all of it. And if they had prophecies and revelators, they might have built upon the Rock of Revelation and upon the restored gospel as it was laid down by Joseph Smith. But what they've done is they have torn it down, and they've they've tried to become friends with the world and friends with Christianity and do away with a bunch of stuff. And... Uh, well, there was a curse. DNC section 124, all they who hinder this work will be cursed for the third and fourth generation. And they did hinder the work. In land speculating and building Masonic temples and building mansions that they ought not to have done, 
stealing wood that was consecrated and dedicated for the building of the Navi Temple and building other buildings with it. They hindered the work, and the curse that lasted to four generations was 160 years from the time of the rejection of the church in 1843 all the way up until I saw the Father in the flesh in 2003. And then the work began to commence at that point. That's what the heavens were open. They weren't open in 2017 or 2015 or whatever it is that some people want to tell you. Um, the heavens actually began to open for me in 1995. And I was prepared from 1995 until 2003 when I came into the presence. I didn't do it um, because I wanted it. I was brought into the presence of the Father and the Son. I was first brought there spiritually by Jesus Christ into the presence of the Father in 1995. And then in 2003, I was brought into the presence of the Father. And I saw them in the flesh. Physical. Hands laid on head. Physical embracing. Sitting down and talking with, well, with, Jesus, I didn't sit down and talk with the Father. He, after he did what he was going to do, he instructed me to go with Jesus. And I sat down and I spoke with him. And we talked about my life and what he wanted me to do. That was a physical thing that happened in 2003. Between 1995 and and present time, I've received many revelations, many visions, many dreams. I've been taken up in the spirit many times, but I, I was only taken in the flesh one time. And in fact, one time before I got my endowments out in 1997, I wanted to understand something that really bothered me because I was an anti-Mormon Baptist and I believed before my conversion in 96 certain things about Joseph Smith that were not true and I wanted to know what the truth of something was and I told God I can't get my endowment until I understand this I know he's a true prophet but I need to understand this one thing and as I was standing there with a friend at Temple Square at like 10 or 11 o'clock at night we're actually standing out of the church office uh, not office building the, the museum that's west just west of Temple Square um I was asking God about this one thing, and I had a friend there, and it was something specific to this building. There was, there's a mural on the front. I wanted to understand something about what I was looking at, and it really bothered me. And God spoke to me, and I was so elated because I heard it in my ears, like 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 God, like you would consider God's. I mean, you know, it wasn't the still small voice. It was like a like in my ears and in my head and everywhere in between. <laughs> I, like, I don't know how to describe it really, but and I was so excited and I was like, that's so awesome. Did you hear that? And my friend that was standing right there next to me, he had a surprised look on his face. And he's all, what are you talking about? I didn't hear anything. And I was like, oh, oh, that's weird. Well, God just, told me what that meant and then I told him what it meant and he was like that's kind of cool <laughs> oh man you know I'm still friends with that guy 
on Facebook, but I have not seen him for so many years. And he lives up in Davis County, Utah now, and I do not like going up there. I it's just too far away. It's too long of a trip, and I don't want I don't want to be in a car. So <coughs> excuse me. Anyway, let's see here. The Mormons have a peculiar doctrine in regard to our preexistence from the views of the Christian world, so-called, who do not believe that man had a pre-existence. It is believed by the religious world that man, both body and spirit, begins to live about the same time when he is born into the world, or a little before, like at conception. Um, that when that then is the beginning of life. They believe that the Lord, by the, a direct act of creation, formed in the first place man out of the dust of the ground, and they believe that man is possessed of both body and spirit by the union of which he became a living creature. Suppose we admit this doctrine concerning the formation of the body from the dust, then how was the spirit formed? Why, says one, we suppose it was made by a direct act of creation, like God breathed life into the spirit, into the, the, the flesh, making it a living soul. Like, by the way, a soul is the combination of spirit and body, not the spirit alone. All right, that he molded the spirit of man formed and finished it in a proper likeness to inhabit the tabernacle, or the body, he had made out of the dust. Have you any account of this in the Bible? Do the scriptures declare that the spirit was formed at the time the tabernacle was made? No. All of the tabernacles of the children of men that were ever formed from the remote gener generations, from the days of Adam to this time, have been formed out of the earth. We are of the earth, earthly, earthy. The tabernacle has been organized according to certain principles and the laws of organization with bone and flesh and sinew and skin. Now, where do you suppose all these tabernacles get their spirits? Does God, does the Lord make a new spirit every time a tab tabernacle is made? If so, the work of creation, according to the belief of Christendom, apostate Christendom I just added that but it, it is the truth they don't have the restoration they don't have prophets they are led in many instances by the precepts of men mingled with scripture and they teach false doctrines and all they who believe these lies receive strong delusion that they all might be damned because they did not love the truth enough to God enough to go to God to get get truth and that principle is found in Second Thessalonians chapter 2. Let's see. If so, the work of creation according to the belief of Christendom did not cease on the seventh day. It, if we admit their views, the Lord must be continually making spirits to inhabit all the tabernacles of the children of men. He must make something like 1,000 millions of spirits every century. He must be working at it every day, for there are many hundreds of individuals being born into the world every day. Many hundreds. I don't think he realized that we'd get up to uh, a peak point of 9 billion people. I think we're at 7 now, but 
The peak point is $9 billion. Anyway, does the Lord create a new spirit every time a new tabernacle, a body, comes into the world? That does not look reasonable, nor godlike. And we are at page 68 at 18%. And my wife is definitely going to be reading tonight because I'm going to have to go to work here in a little bit. But how is it, you inquire, why the fact is that being that animal animates that being that animates this body and that gives life and energy and power to move, to act, to think that being that dwells within this tabernacle is much older than that than what the tabernacle is. That spirit that now dwells within each man and each woman of this vast assembly of people is more than a thousand years old, and I would venture to say that it is more than 5,000 years old. Wow. <laughs> he would venture to say, okay, we existed before this earth was organized. We existed before the last earth that we dwelt upon, which is the pre-existent to this earth, was organized. Some of us, this might be our first earth, but most of us who are in this level of ascension who have come at least into the restoration, we have been around for multiple lifetimes on multiple planets and are multiple saviors. This is just part of eternal lives that is spoken of in the scriptures. Continuing on, but how was it made? When was it made? And by whom was it made? If our spirits existed thousands of years ago, if they began to exist, if they were beginning to uh, were beginning to their organization, by what process was this organization carried on? Through what medium and by what system of laws? Was it by a direct creation of the Almighty? Actually, it wasn't. When the intelligence gets to the point where it becomes self-aware, it's a self-evolving thing. All that God does, or the gods or the angels, they help direct. They, it's basically you bring them into a nursery of a bunch of spirits that have just been become self-aware, and you begin to try to instruct them and to mold them and to help them become what good, right? And some of them aren't going to be good. But you try to direct them and mold them so that, that uh, they come up properly. Anyway, continuing on. Was it by a direct uh, creation of the Almighty? No, it was not. Or were we framed according to a certain system of laws? Kind of. In the same manner as our tabernacles. If we were to reason from an out Analogy, hold on here. Analogy. If we admit analogical reasoning in the question, what would we say? We should say that our spirits were formed by generation, the same as the body or the tabernacle of flesh and bones. Okay, so that. This long quote, let me see here. I just want to see who said that. I think it was Orson Pratt. And I, 
you know, he was a very intelligent man. But you can have all the intelligence in the world. Yep, it was Orson Pratt. Without revelation, like, you make for an interesting person, you know. But all you can do is speculate. And you can speculate pretty close to the truth. But without revelation, you're not really going to know the truth. Anyway, continuing on, Orson Pratt, Journal of Discourses, Volume 15, page 245, uh, through 247. Quote, There is something truly cheering in contemplating the previous existence of man, much more so than in the old idea of the sectarian world that God is constantly creating, that he did not finish his work some five or six thousand years ago, but that he is creating all the time. They will tell you that they have spirits in their bodies capable of existing after the bodies have crumbled back to Mother Earth. Ask them to or ask them the origin of these spirits, and they will tell you they have or originated about the time of the infant tabernacles of flesh and bone were organ, uh, uh, originated. And you know what drives me nuts? These people don't get revelation. They teach for doctrines the commandments of men mingled with scripture. This is a direct, uh, this is direct evidence of it. These individuals will make crap up to sound smart but they don't know. And they'll say, well, this is how it happens. Not this is how I think it happens. Oh, no, you have to believe that this is how it happens because this is what our church teaches. And if you don't believe it, then you'll be cast out. Okay, well, how did you come to that conclusion? Well, it's in the scriptures. Show it to me. Well, I can't. It's not in the scriptures. It's just crap that they speculate about because they don't know, because they don't have prophets, seers, and revelators among them. Luckily for us, Joseph Smith was a prophet, seer, revelator, and translator, and he received much information to lay the foundation for Zion's redemption. And people like Brigham Young and Heber Sue Kimball and John Taylor and Orson Pratt and Bruce R. McConkie well, Bruce R. McConkie, maybe uh, not. But anyway, these guys build upon what they get from Joseph Smith. Now, the reason I say Bruce R. McConkie, maybe not, is because he built upon the people who built upon the people who built upon the people that built upon Joseph Smith. And it, it's changed. A lot of things have changed over time because there was a curse that lasted for 160 years. Now, the church is still under condemnation, and the church is still under the curse that is talked about that, that um, you know, the, the DNC Section 124 curse, that's still on the church. When Jesus said he would have to send one mighty and strong to set the house of God in order, the house is the whole house, not just some individual church, and... The church itself will not be set in order. They will not. 
the elector gathering out of the church. And unfortunately, there are Judas goats ready to lead you, to keep you from the truth, who sound very good, but they have key points of doctrine. They will lead the people astray, teaching people that, you know, oh, you get revelation. You got to get revelation on everything. Here's how you do it. God speaks to your mind. And then after God speaks to your mind, you get a confirmation by asking God to speak to your mind. Oh, what about the heart? Oh, we don't worry about the heart because we were emotionally manipulated by other individuals and you can't trust the heart. You can only trust the mind. Okay, well, when you ask God if it was him that told you whatever it is that you were taught, uh, do you think Satan's not allowed to say, yeah, I'm God? Because Satan speaks to your mind as well. That's that's how he whispers to you all the time. Without confirmation of the Holy Ghost, there is no way to tell who it is that is speaking to you. You have to have the witness of the Holy Ghost to understand whether it's from God or whether it's from Satan. But people who are like, oh, well... I believe this, and I'm going to pray about it. And so I pray about it, and then uh, I get a yes or a no or whatever, because like we're like God's a Ouija board or God's a, a magic eight ball or something. In fact, maybe you should use magic eight ball so that you can get answers from God. You know, I I'm being sarcastic, but but then they'll say, "Oh, I feel like this is from God. God is this is, is this from you?" And then the whispering spirit will say, Yes, I am God. This is from me. Oh, okay, it must be from God. Well, Satan can lie to you too. God spoke to Joseph Smith and told Oliver Cowdery that he speaks both to your mind and to your heart. That is through the still small voice, but also through the fruit of the spirit, which is emotions. They come to your heart. Now, they can, you can be emotionally manipulated. Thomas Monson did it all the time. Henry B. Iron does it today. Others do it too. There's a difference between being emotionally manipulated and actually having the burning of the bosom or the peace, joy, love, and pure intelligence that the Holy Spirit provides through speaking to you through your heart. And if the thing that you believe is a lie, God will withdraw his spirit from you and you'll be left to the buffetings of Satan. So if you're having anxiety because of something that you're learning and you're having stress and you're feeling anger and you're having all these emotional problems that are on the dark side of the spectrum, there's something that you're believing where the spirit has left you that is a lie. And that's part of the reason why so many people in the state of Utah have so many problems with, with uh, you know, they, they got to get their pharmaceuticals to, to feel good about themselves. <laughs> anyway, hence, according to their ideas, God has been, has all the time been creating about one person every 20 seconds, which I believe is about the average rate of a person that is being born into the world, and it's more than that now. 
In other words, about three a minute, and according to their ideas, the Lord is engaging in making spirits this rapidly and sending them here to this world. We're on page 69. And you know what? I just noticed that we've been in this an hour and 11 minutes. And if I don't get it uploaded before... Um, before I reach the 100 megabyte limit, then it'll have to be a podcast and I won't be able to finish it. So I'm going to I'm gonna stop here. We're on page 69. That's for my wife so she can find out where we're going to be. And uh, she'll probably be reading after this or, or my son, Emma, who's 16. So, all right. Well, the guest call-in number is 917-889-8827. That's 917-889-8827. You can also find a place to ask questions in a chat room at blogtalkradio.com forward slash fundamentally Mormon. And we go live Monday through Thursday at 6 p.m. Utah time or Mountain Daylight time. All right. So we're on page 69 now. Let's go live. Thank you for listening. Okay, I accidentally hit the wrong button and <clears throat> turned off the phone. So, all right, so we're live now. Uh, like I said, the guest call-in number is 917-889-8827. We're only 26% through with the reading for today. Had some technical difficulties early and had to restart at 6.30. So the live streaming portion of the program will go for another... 45 minutes and I don't know if we'll be able to get through this at all but um, my co-driver had to drive from the uh, Emory County up to Lehigh, Utah today and then he had to drive down to Blanding, Utah to deliver a load of sand of some kind I don't know what they're doing but um, Every single truck that went up there today got overloaded on the drives. So if you're not a truck driver, you don't know, so I'll explain it to you. We're allowed to have so much weight overall, which is 129,000 pounds. Um, For our steers, we can have 12,000 pounds. For our drives, uh, we can have 34,000 pounds. And then the main trailer can have 30,000 pounds on the back of the axles because <clears throat> we have three axles with single tires per axle. So that would be uh, six six tires on the ground. That's 30,000 pounds. The dolly has has four tires, but because they're wider, they can handle 34,000 pounds. And then the pup has six tires on three single axles and that can have 30 pounds or 30,000 pounds. Anyway, so they overloaded them on the drives and I don't think my co-driver understands how to axle out um, to correct his weight. And he was under 129,000 pounds, but in order to correct it, when you're driving belly dumps, you have to get up in the trailer with a shovel and throw whatever the product is that you're hauling in scoops with a shovel to the back of the trailer until you get legal. 
uh, one time I got way overloaded on my main and did not have as much in my pup and I was over on my gross on my drives and my trailers. So I had to take two buckets, fill them up, walk down the back of the trailer across the tongue up to the to- uh, up to the top of the pup and dump it in the pup. And it was 2,500 pounds with two buckets and it took me hours of shoveling and walking and dumping. So luckily they didn't give them a ticket, but they had to be corrected before they left the scales. So anyway, um, at 5.30 p.m., I called him and I said, hey, where are you at? And he says, oh, I'm just getting to blending. So they figured they'd probably be back by 8. And I'm just waiting for a text message from him to tell me that they are that they are getting close. And he says he will do that, and we're waiting. Anyway, so I'm still at home, which is fine. I kind of wish I could take tonight off because I am tired, but um, I don't really want to go in on Saturday night to finish out this pay period, so I guess I'm driving tonight. Anyway, all right, we're continuing with where I left off on uh, on page 69, if you're reading along, and like I said, we're at 26%. I cannot, for the for my part, see that there is any more absurd absurdity in believing that he made them thousands of years before they came here than to suppose that he made them just before they came here. Like, why does it matter to these Christians? So they'll argue these points, by the way. Well, he doesn't say that in the Bible. Well, that's why you need prophets. That's why you, there had to be a restoration, because these things were known. And through the apostasy and hijacking of the Christian church by Rome and then the corrections that were made in the, uh, the Reformation, uh, they did not have prophets to correct and restore the truth, and they had little to go on. So anyway, let's see here. One can certainly not be more unreasonable than the other because we cannot recollect our former existence is no proof, whatever, that we cannot have one. And I'm going to say something to this, too, which is why this program is going to be way too long, and I will not finish the reading tonight. So maybe my wife should read it because she's not. She's like, let me read. No, um, oh, Kim, I only download, or uploaded that program. The text isn't on there, and I tried to do a, an airdrop on your tablet. And it's not connected, or you drop a send off. And type in search at the top, and type in airdrop, and you might be able to uh, open that. Anyway, um, I was just talking the other day, and it's something that I have uh, learned that to if we were to remember what it's like to be in the presence of the Father and the Son, uh, this life would be so much more difficult than it is. And so they have blessed us with something that they call the veil. I would type, well, if you 
do that, then it's going to be connected to my Apple ID, which is fine because I've already paid for this. And you can just restore this on your iPad. But if you don't want to because whatever, then you'll have to purchase the app yourself, which is only it's pretty cheap. It's like 10 bucks or something like that. Anyway, um, back to what I was saying. Um, so it's a blessing that we don't remember. Um, yeah, it makes it so that as hard as life can be, it's not harder than it has to be. So, all right, I can prove this. In regard to this present existence, what person is there in this congregation who can remember the first six months of his or her infancy? There is not a man nor a woman on the face of the earth, I presume, who can remember this, but no person will argue on that account that he did not exist at that time. Oh, no, says the objector. That would be an improper method of arguing. Our memories have nothing to do with our previous existence. If we remember it all, good. If we do not, it does not alter that existence. That's kind of like somebody who has amnesia, like just because they can't remember what it was like in their life before they had amnesia doesn't mean that that existence didn't exist. It didn't. It doesn't mean that those experiences didn't happen. It just means that that person can't remember it. And we all have amnesia from our previous uh, mortality and our previous spirit, spirit existence. And I'm only saying previous mortality because at the lecture at the Grove, Joseph Smith did teach multiple mortal probations. And before I read that, God taught me that. And then, like I said before earlier in the recorded portion of the program, like he would teach me things and then he would show me where somebody else had taught it. Now, that that hasn't happened with everything because there's things that are meant for me to reveal to the people and to the world that even Joseph Smith was not allowed to reveal. Uh, in the Book of Mormon, um, there are things which Nephi is talking about, and God tells him, hold up, like I let you see that, but that's for John to reveal. And so instead of Nephi saying all the things that um, that he wanted to share, he started sharing Isaiah because Isaiah also understood certain things. Um, because certain of us are foreordained to reveal certain things, and John the Revelator was was foreordained to reveal things that Nephi was shown as well, but Nephi lived before the time it was that these things should be revealed. You know, and the Book of Mormon is not for the, the people who lived uh, anciently. It, it's not for the Nephites. Hold on. Why is Tucker eating something? Oh, Tucker is doing his job because the baby put food down. And Tucker, our dog, is uh, <laughs> Tucker, our dog, is doing his job cleaning up the house because the two-year-old left food where the two. Uh, excuse me, Eliza, if you ask for the phone again, you will not get it all weekend. So stop. My eight-year-old keeps on coming over trying to uh, grab the phone because there's apps on there that she likes to play with, like kid apps or whatever. Anyway, 
If we were born in heaven before this world, okay, first of all, we weren't born in heaven. Sorry, that's not how that works. Um, but anyway, if we were born in heaven before uh, in heaven before this world was made, the question might arise as to the nature of that birth. Was it by command that the spiritual substance scattered throughout space was miraculously brought together and organized into a spiritual form? and called the spirit, once again, that's not how it happened. The intelligence is eternal. It's self-existent. When that self-existent intelligence becomes self-aware, it becomes two spirits, one male and one female. That is something that happens naturally in the process of time. Uh, You know, each intelligence becomes self-aware at different times. And there is still... Uh, just I don't even know what the number would be because there is no number. There are still intelligences that have not yet become self-aware. There are spirits that are that were born today. Not here. Everybody who is on this earth has been around for a while. But there are spirits that were born, uh, you know, and, and like today is a relative term because of the, the rotation of our planet, but um, hours are hours are hours are hours, and seconds are seconds are seconds are seconds, and, you know, I'm talking about like within the last 24 hours, there are many spirits that have been created, and there are worlds without number that are in existence that are going through their celestial state right now. There are worlds without number, which are going through their millennial time period right now, and there are worlds without number that are in a celestial sphere. Like all of this is happening now. Worlds without number are created and organized, and it is the work of God, the eternal Father, to bring to pass the immortality and eternal life of those spirits who were once intelligence, and to organize the universe and create worlds. And that's his work in his glory. And he uses the exalted ones, the Elohim, both male and female, to do the work of creation and to be fathers and mothers over worlds. And there are saviors on those worlds, and they are not Jesus Christ. They're different saviors. See, one of the false doctrines that began to be uh, spouted within the church by the False prophet James Talmadge and other false prophets is that the, the, the atonement of Jesus Christ is universal. It's not. The atonement of Jesus Christ, he did that for us, for this world. His atonement does not affect other worlds. There are saviors on other earths. Joseph Smith taught that, uh, and I'm going to paraphrase this, but I'll teach you the principle anyway, that under the direction of the Elohim, there are first presidencies of earth. Uh, The first presidencies will consist of God the Creator, who is the Father, who becomes an Adam on an earth, the Redeemer, who is the Father's first counselor, or first apostle, or a Messiah, he redeems that world from the fall, which is something that is designed to happen, and God the witness, who is the testator or Holy Ghost, um, 
and each Earth has a person for each of these uh, these offices on that world. This is just one. I mean, like the 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 ignorant Christians, they don't understand that like God has created worlds without number, and there are worlds without number in existence right now, and they all have been populated by mortal beings and resurrected beings, depending on the time of the age of the history of that earth. Um, and that there is, uh, there is this continual work of creation and helping to bring to pass the immortality and the eternal life of all they who are in mortality or resurrected or whatever that are assigned to the different earths. Anyway, is that the way we were born? Is that the way that Jesus, the firstborn of every creature, was brought into existence? No, Jesus was actually chosen to take that place because he had ascended to that level of ascension where he could be a redeemer. In his last mortal probation on the world that we would call the preexistence, during the celestial and the terrestrial and the celestial history of that earth, he would have been God the witness, not God the redeemer. When he was chosen to take his place on this earth, he was chosen to take the place of God the redeemer, and another one was chosen to take his place, who is God the witness, who is the second counselor or apostle or second witness of the Father. All right, uh, Kim, did you get the airplay open? So you don't know how to do that. <laughs> Sorry, what was that, Kim? Okay, so now she's playing on it and I was just hoping that you would read so that, because you're faster at this whole reading thing. Actually, you don't have your headset. You don't know where it is. Okay. I'm going to finish this quote, and then I'm going to hand this over to my wife and see if I can be the technical support that she needs for. All right, let's see. We were all born there after the same manner that we are here. No, we're not. We're not birthed by spiritual mothers or resurrected beings. That's not how our spirits came into existence. These individuals, they knew what Joseph Smith said, and then they ran amok and speculated and act like they knew what they were talking about, but they don't know what they're talking about. And as much as I would love to sit down and talk with every single one of these individuals because I think that they did try to carry on and that they were stewards over the church in its rejected state. They did not understand these things by revelation. They only understood what Joseph Smith taught and then they speculated. And even as great a mind as Orson Pratt had, he did not understand that we are not born in the spirit world to celestial 
mothers. That's not how it works. In fact, there needs to be no help for an intelligence to become self-aware. When an intelligence becomes self-aware and uh, it becomes a, a male and a female spirit, at that point, there will be those who step in and help direct that individual or those two individuals actually to help them to grow and to learn and to go through the process that happens when an intelligence might be self-aware, but they don't know anything yet. And they haven't gone through any uh, lessons or haven't gone through any uh, tests or anything. Anyway, it's all a process and it's a long process, by the way. All right. Every person that has, that had an existence before he came here had a literal father and a literal mother. A personal father and a personal mother. Hence the Apostle Paul, in speaking to the heathens in Ephesus, says, quote, We are his offspring. Now I look upon every man and woman that ever came here on this globe and that ever will come as having a father and a mother in the heavens by whom their spirits were brought into existence. But how long they reside in the heavens before they came here is not revealed. I know that this is a really good noise canceling mic, but it doesn't, it's not as good as you think it is, Kim. Okay. I, yeah, they need to stop. <laughs> Kids are wrestling on the floor here in the living room. Okay. Thank you. All right. We will refer now to the 19th chapter of Job to show that there were sons of God before the world was made. And I've got to say, I know I'm interrupting this quote a lot, but the individuals who gather up the newborn spirits and teach them are their mothers and fathers. They're there. They are the original mothers and fathers of those spirits, not because they had them, but because they nurtured them. So, for instance, my wa- my wife and I were just talking to our two oldest kids. And my daughter was like, you haven't been around in my whole life. You've only been around you know, for 10 years or whatever because she was three when I married Kim. And I may not have created her, my oldest son, who's uh, 16. But... I'm the one that has been here the whole time while their father's been in prison or wherever he's been. Um, And they don't have anything to do with this other man who was extremely abusive. And Kim, did they ever finish that trial and convict him? Oh, he's sitting in jail waiting trial. So there was a mistrial uh, for the original stuff that happened where Kim was able to escape the crazy abuse that was going on that <clears throat> he should have gone to prison for how many years did they say like 46 years or something like that anyway but yeah he's facing more now so what happened was um, I won't go on off on tangents um, there was a mistrial because of some stupid stuff that somebody did whatever and Kim didn't want to have to go through all of the embarrassment and emotional trauma of having to go before another grand jury 
so they made a deal that he would be on how, not house arrest, but on the GPS monitor, couldn't leave the county, couldn't violate his parole uh, or probation or whatever they call it. And like, so he was free to like go and Kim was able to escape with her kids and her life and God. But this individual, uh, very uh, slick lying bastard that he is, um, he was able to convince another person to marry him. And Kim knows the individual because they all lived in this small town up in upstate New York. And she was friends with this other individual, and he convinced her, the friend, that Kim was alive, that it was all taken out of context and blah, 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 whatever. Anyway, <coughs> excuse me, long story short, boarded up windows, uh, chains in bedrooms, no clothes, making her eat <clears throat> urine and feces. I know, Kim. I don't think Kim wants me to talk about the details. Uh, and what he did to her, the friend was way worse than what happened to Kim. Anyway, so this individual <clears throat> is not around anymore. A year later, or maybe two years, I don't know. Um, then I, I don't, it's fine. Um, I come into Kim's life. God tells Kim, independent of me, to to bear me children and to ease my burdens. And he tells me, independent of her, to take her as my wife. So here I am, going to be the dad uh, to these two kids and the wife of this woman that I don't even know. Like, the story is interesting, how it all worked. And we've been married 10 years in July. So right around 10 years ago is when we first started talking. Actually, it's been a month and 10 years. And anyway, whatever. So... <laughs> Anyway, so I haven't been around for my oldest two's whole lives, but guess what? I'm their father. I have uh, taken care of them. I have tried to teach them and correct them, and I've supported their mother and been head of this household for the last 10 years. So I'm their father. The same way that when a spirit is first born, there are those who take these spirits and they teach them, and they nurture them, and they correct them, and they help them to grow and to learn. That is how we have Heavenly Fathers and Heavenly Mothers. But under the direction of God the Eternal Father, who is over all, we have these exalted ones who are Heavenly Fathers and Heavenly Mothers. So we have multiple Heavenly Fathers and Heavenly Mothers. It's not in the way that it happens in this carnal world where people are born and you have whatever. Um, also, when Jesus Christ paid for our sins, we become his children when we go through the ordinances of being baptized and confirmed and sealed to him through the law of adoption, and Jesus Christ becomes our father, even though he is our savior and the redeemer and the only begotten son of our father who is above him and our father Adam was once a redeemer and he paid for our sins on an older earth and he became a father the same way that Jesus did now when Jesus goes into that world that John saw that new heaven and that new earth 
when Jesus goes into that world, he will become an Adam or a father of that planet, and God, the office of God the Redeemer and God the Witness will be filled by two other individuals. This is the same way it happened with Jehovah. Jehovah and Jesus are not the same person. I've already talked about this ad nauseum. Moses chapter one verse uh, chapter one verses one through six. Jehovah says that Moses, you're in the very similitude of my only begotten Son, who will come in the meridian of time. That's Jehovah speaking of Jesus Christ, not the same individual. But Jehovah was a redeemer on an older earth, and then in his next mortal probation on a next world, a new heaven and a new earth. Jehovah became an Adam of that planet, and he went through that, and he was the father of that planet, and Michael was the redeemer of that world. In the next, and Jesus Christ was God the witness. In the next mortal probation, um, Adam becomes the father, Jesus becomes the redeemer, and another becomes the witness. That is the progression of the gods. Anyway... Um, I need to eat something uh, before my co-driver finally texts me. Wow, this is ridiculous. I I kind of feel sorry for him because uh, of all the problems today. They probably should have had us just deliver the load uh, because, oh, my gosh. Anyway, but I'm still sitting here waiting for him. So, Kim, will you take this headset and this tablet and read because I'll never finish. I just, there's so much here that I can unpack, but we'll never get through this chapter. I probably spend a week on this chapter. So, all right, um, Olivia. Um, just start at the top of the page here. Okay, what's blue? It doesn't matter. Okay, we will refer now to the 19th chapter of Job to show that there were sons of God before this world was made. The Lord asked Job, Job, I'm sorry, oh my goodness, the Lord asked Job a question in relation to his preexistence saying, where wast thou when I laid the cornerstone of the earth? Where were you, Job, when all the morning stars sang together and all the songs of God shouted for joy, when the nucleus of this creation was commenced? If Job had been indoctrinated into all the mysteries of modern religionists. Okay, sorry, I'm, I thought there was something wrong with the radio show, and he said, oh, my goodness, so now I'm, like, deading air. Can they hear you on that? Oh, okay. Okay, sounds good. <clears throat> sorry, okay. This is going to be the weirdest audio. All of a sudden, <laughs> if Job had been indoctrinated into all the mysteries of modern religionists, he would have answered this question by saying, Lord, why do you ask me such a question? I had no existence at that time, but the very question implies that the existence of Job, but he, I'm sorry, it implies the existence of Job, that he had forgotten where he was. And the Lord put the question as though he did this, showing him, showing to him, in the declaration that when he laid the cornerstone of the earth, there were a great many sons of God there and that they all shouted together for joy. Who were these sons of God? They certainly were not the fleshly descendants of Adam for he had not then been placed 
in the Garden of Eden. Who were they then? Sorry, I just changed the screen by accident. They were Jesus, the elder brother, and all the family that have come from that day until now, millions on millions, and all who will come hereafter and take tabernacles of flesh and bones until the closing up of scene, up scene of this creation. Um, where else is this written other than in your tablet? I don't like the green. It's like flashing in my face, and I'm like, it's too huge. I need it to be smaller. It's okay. I can read it, but I, yeah, can maybe we work on that? All these cre- all these were present when God commenced this creation. Jesus was also there and superintended the work, for by him God made the world. Consequently, he must have been there and all felt joyful and shouted for joy. What produced their joy? It was knowledge. They knew that the creation then being formed was their abiding place, where their spirits would go and take upon them tabernacles of flesh and bones. And they rejoiced at the prospect. They had more knowledge than, than, than the world of mankind have now. They saw that it was absolutely necessary for their advancement in the scale of being to go and take tabernacles of flesh and bone. They saw that their spirits without tabernacles never could be made perfect, never could be placed in a position to attain to great power, dominion, and glory like their father, and understanding that the earth was being created to give them the opportunity of reaching his position. They sang together for joy. They composed a hymn, and if we could have a copy of it, we should no doubt find that it was a hem in relation to the construction of the earth and its future habitation by those spirits in the form of men. I should like to see that hem myself, and if we had it, we would get our choir here to sing it. I think it would impart a good deal of information to us, and perhaps we would shout for joy again. Brigham Young, Journal of Discourse, Volume 4, page 216. I want to tell you, each and every one of you, that you are well acquainted with God, our Heavenly Father, or the great Elohim. You are well with acquaint- all are all well acquainted with him, for there is not a soul of you, but what has lived in his house and dwelt with him year after year, and yet you are seeking to become acquainted with him. When the fact is, you have merely forgotten what you did know. I told you a little last Sabbath about forgetting things. There is not a person here today, but what is a son or a daughter of that being in the spirit world? Their spirits were first begotten and brought forth, and they lived there with their parents for ages before they came here. This, perhaps, is hard for many to believe, but it is the greatest nonsense in the world not to believe it. If you do not believe it, cease to call him father and when you pray pray to some other character it would be inconsistent in you to disbelieve what i think you know and then to go home and ask the father to do and so for you so and so for you the scriptures which we believe have taught us from the beginning to call him our father and we have been taught to pray to him as our father in the name of our eldest brother whom we call jesus christ the savior of the world and that savior while here on earth was so explicit on this point that he taught his disciples to call no man on earth father for we have 
one which is in heaven. He is the Savior because it is his right to redeem the remainder of the family pertaining to the flesh on this earth. If any of you do not believe this, tell us how and what we should believe. If I am not telling you the truth, please to tell me the truth on this subject. And let me know more than I do know if it is hard for you to believe. If you wish to believe to be Latter-day Saints, admit the fact as I state it and do not contend against it. Try to believe it because you will never become acquainted with our Father. Never enjoy the blessings of his spirit. Never be prepared to enter into his presence until you most assuredly believe it. Therefore, you had better try to believe this great mystery about God. Joseph Fielding Smith, Doctrines of Salvation, Volume 1, page 56 through 57. We lived in the presence of God in the Spirit before we came here. We desired to be like him. We saw him. We were in his presence. There is not a soul who has not seen both the Father and the Son. And in the Spirit world, we were in their presence. But it became necessary for us to gain experiences, which could not be obtained in that world of spirits. And so we were accorded... The privilege we were afforded the privilege of coming down here upon this earth. When we lived in the presence of our Father, we were not like Him. We were just spirits. We did not have bodies of flesh and bones, but He did. He was a glorious personage with a body of flesh and bones, His spirit and body being inseparably connected, and His body shining with a brightness beyond the brightness of the sun. We saw Him in His majesty, and when the plan of salvation was presented to us, it was made known to us that if we would pass through this mortal existence and be true and faithful to all the commandments of our Father, or that our Father would give unto us, thus keeping the second estate as we had kept the first, we too eventually would have the privilege of coming back into his presence with bodies of flesh and bones, which would also shine with brightness of the sun to share in all the fullness of his kingdom. Page 73. Brigham Young, Journal of Discourse, Volume 4, page 218. Things were first created spiritually. The Father actually begat the spirits, and they were brought forth and lived with him. Then he commenced the work of creating earthly tabernacles, precisely as he had been creating in this flesh himself. By partaking of the coarse material that was organized and composed this earth until his system was charged with it. Consequently, the tabernacles of his children were organized from the coarse materials of this earth. When the time came that his firstborn, the Savior, should come into the world and take that ta- take a tabernacle. The Father came himself and favored that spirit with a tabernacle instead of letting any other man do it. The Savior was begotten by the Father, his spirit, by the same being who is the Father of our spirits. And that is all the organic difference between Jesus Christ and you and me. And the difference there is between our Father and us consists in that he has gained his exaltation and has obtained eternal lives. The principle of eternal lives is an eternal existence. Eternal duration, eternal exaltation, endless are his kingdoms, endless his thrones and his dominions, and endless are his posterity. They never will cease to multiply from this time henceforth and forever. Joseph Fielding Smith, Doctrines of Salvation. Hi. Can you hear me echo in your phone? No, I can hear everything in your phone. Even me. Okay. Um, here, I'll let you mute yourself then. Or actually. I oops, can't. You have. I'll mute you. Oh, I am muted her. 
And that is how you make your wife be quiet. I guess she's going to hurt me. <laughs> just kidding. She wouldn't do that. And I'm just joking. Anyway, I was just going to say, Jesus was a God before this earth was created and organized because he lived on an older planet and had a previous existence. Okay. The only reason that Jesus is called the only begotten is because our father, God, the creator, who is Michael, who became Adam for this earth, came down after his telestial phase of his life and as a terrestrial individual impregnated Mary physically, and Jesus Christ has a father who is part terrestrial and part celestial. When Jesus Christ said, um, hold me not, <clears throat> hold me not, I have not yet ascended to my father, but go unto my brethren and say unto them, I ascend unto my father and to your father and unto my God and to your God. He was talking about our father, who is our common father, Michael, who was Adam for this earth, and Jehovah our Elohim. Okay. <laughs> On the day of first fruits, which is the day he was resurrected, um, which began Saturday evening after sundown, because that's the way the Jewish reckoning of time is, according to God's instruction. Um the father presented himself after he visited his wife, Mary, where he was like, hold me not, for I have not yet ascended to my father. Anyway, he ascended to his father and brought him back into a celestial state of resurrection. We know that there are three degrees in the celestial kingdom. They are the degrees that are the degrees of God, the witness, God the Redeemer and God the Creator or God the Father. When they go through uh, the the process of finishing up their redemption, uh, they enter into the highest degree of glory. But there are kingdoms above the celestial kingdom, which we are told about in the Doctrine and Covenants when we're given a stone so we can see orders higher than the celestial kingdom. There's a whole lot more than what we have. Uh, there's a lot more evolution and progression of the gods above the the, <clears throat> the point of becoming a God the creator and even above the point of becoming God uh, an Elohim or one of the mighty ones under the council of the gods. There's levels. Anyway, um, I just wanted to share that. Now, What's going on here? Oh, okay. So I'll unmute you. I, I did want to say something real quick. So the reason why I was like ridiculously or ridiculous, what did I say? Anyway, so like 30 or 40 minutes ago, I asked my son, hey, like, I'd like it if you would make me a tuna fish. Because you were like, because you were talking about it earlier. She's like, what do they need to know about this? Because you thought I was like something, whatever, it doesn't matter. Anyway, I told my son, hey, can you make me a couple of sandwiches, uh, tuna fish, uh, like grilled tuna fish sandwiches? And he did. It finally took, it finally took, it took him a while, but he finally got it done. He brings the plate out, gives it to the eight-year-old. The eight-year-old doesn't bring it to me. He puts it on 
the the arm of my wife's chair that she's sitting in, and then like little piranhas, everybody like runs and grabs a sandwich because uh, Emmett made multiple ones, and then like I was like, are you serious? Like I didn't get a sandwich, and they're almost gone. Anyway, Kim Kim gave me two bites of or no, Kim ate two bites of one of the sandwiches. And when I was like, seriously, like she gave me one. So anyway, that's what I was talking about earlier. And not that anybody needs to know, but that's why I was like, seriously, I'll unmute you. (laughs) I'll mute myself. She has a pickle in her mouth and she is munching on it. I want a pickle. And Olivia is thinking this is hilarious. I'm going to get myself. You are hilarious. What are you doing? Are you going to unmute me? I just muted you. I can hear you talking. Oh, you can? I can't hear me. (laughs) I didn't know I was unmuted. (laughs) That's even more funny. Okay. The things that you talked about on your radio show is hilarious. Joseph Fielding Smith, Doctrines of Salvation, Volume 1, page 62 through 63. Man is the greatest of all the creations of God. He is his offspring. We are all his children. It was made known through the prophet Joseph Smith and Sidney Rigdon, who saw it in vision that the inhabitants of this earth and other worlds are begotten sons and daughters unto God. That ought to be put an end so far as Latter-day Saints are concerned to all this nonsense prevailing in the world regarding origin of man. Now I'm echoing. You can hear me? Dad, I turned this on. No, you are. She is. Dad, I turned my headset on to connect it to my phone, and it connected to your phone. (laughs) Oh, okay. So there's 90 seconds left of the... Radio show. Yeah. Nobody can hear you. Oh my gosh. No. Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I know they can hear me. Can you hear me? I can hear you. Okay. I can hear me too now. That's just whatever. Okay. Good. Emmett decided after two hours of being like listening to us talk, oh, I'm going to turn on my headset. And his headset connected to my phone, which booted my wife's phone off, which is why you couldn't hear her talk anymore. And I don't know if I should be able to hear you. Emmett, did you turn off your headset? Oh, my gosh. Like, it seems like every day Emmett's got some way of Mm -hmm. screwing up things. Like, he's unmuted me several times, and I'm like, why am I unmuted? I don't know, because Emmett does Emmett things. No. You can hear him. I can hear him. No. Nobody can hear you except for through this mic that is on my head. I'm trying to connect the mic again. Emmett, go away. You're done. Oh my gosh. You should be fine to talk to Kim. It says you're connected. Can you hear me? No. Turn your headset off and turn it back on. Anyway, the guest call. Well, we're at, we're out of the live streaming portion of the radio program. And how to unconnect and connect? Turn it off and then turn it back on. No, no. There's a button on the back of it. 
You turn it off and you turn it back on. Get out of my bedroom! Okay, try to talk. No, I can't hear you. Okay. It's just area. And you can hear everyone echo on this. That's, That's what I would saying. I can, can hear me echo. That's because you can hear it through this one right here. Can you hear no. me talking? I can I hear you. So basically, that one's that. That's what you're saying. No. no, it's just noise canceling. Yeah, that's hmm. Wow. What does it say on the program? Mute a mic. Everything's unmuted. Emmett screwed it up because, because he, he doesn't, doesn't have a not touch thing. thing. Hold on. Now no, I can't, can't hear you on my phone. phone. I'm telling you to mute it in the video and see if we can hear it. Go ahead and talk. Can you hear me now? Yeah, I can... Good, now I'm unmuted. Man, I say, as the offspring of God is the greatest of all his creations. He is greater than the moon, the sun, and the stars, which are the work of the fingers of God and are made for the benefit of man. It is man's place to rule and stand at the head of all other dominions, powers, creations, and beings, which the Lord our God has created. Orson Pratt, Journal Discourse, Volume 20, page 75, says, But when we learn through the revelations of God that instead of man's coming up from the poor worm of the dirt, he descended from the being, that being who controls the universe by his power, that he descended from that being who is the fullness of all knowledge and who sways his scepter more planetary systems than there are sands upon the seashore. We are his offspring. We are his sons and his daughters. We are his children. He has begotten us, and we existed before the foundation of the world. Who among the wise and the great and those who have studied as far as human wisdom can at present reach? Who among them can tell the origin of life? Who among them can tell the origin of this intelligence in man, this reasoning power, and this perceptive faculty that enables man to grasp not only a great many things pertaining to the laws connected with their own little earth, but enables him to launch out into the regions of space for hundreds of millions of miles and find out and understand many things that govern worlds afar off. Is there no man that can tell the origin of this intelligence? Let the trained colligate I'm sorry, let the trained colligate mind 
whose lifetime has been occupied in study, come forth and tell us how man obtains the first principle of knowledge. How came knowledge to be connected with matter? How came knowledge connected with flesh and bones and blood and skin and sinew? That knowledge, that intelligence is godlike. God is the author. He is the father of our spirits, and we were begotten before this world rolled into existence. Once we dwell in the presence of our Father, once we were enabled to lift our songs of praise in the celestial world from which we immigrated, once we dwell in the society of innumerable convention of angels upon a world that had passed through its stages, its ordeals, the same as this world is passing through its various mutations, celestial world from whence we came is more perfect than this earth. It is organized after a celestial order, higher order and glorified by the presence of immortal glorified celestial beings that is our home from that world we came orson pratt journal discourse volume 18 page 289 and 290 okay we are the offspring of the lord but the rest of animated nature is not We are just as much the sons and daughters of God as the children in this congregation are the sons and daughters of their parents. We were begotten by him when, before we were born in the flesh. This limited state of existence is not our origin. It is merely the origin of the tabernacle in which we dwell. The mind we are possessed of, the being that is capable of thinking and reflecting, that is capable of acting according to the motives presented to it, that being which is immortal, which dwells within us, which is capable of reasoning from cause to effect and which can comprehend in some measure its laws of its creator, as well as trace them out as exhibited in universal nature, that being which we call the mind existed before the tabernacle. Now, if they, the spirits of men, could exist after they leave this tabernacle, while the tabernacle lies moldering in the dust, why not exist before the tabernacle had any existence? Was it not just as easy for an existence to be given to spiritual personages before they took possession of bodies as it is for them to exist after the body decays? Yes, and these are our views founded upon new revelations, not the views of uninspired men, but founded upon direct revelation from God. Where did we exist before we came here? With God. Where does he exist? In the place John denominated heaven. What do we understand heaven to be? Not the place described by Christian friends beyond the bounds of time and space, for there is no such place, there never was, nor ever will be, but I mean a tangible world, a heaven that is perfect, a heaven with materials that has been organized and put together, sanctified and glorified as the residence in the world where God resides. We're on page 76. Born there? Yes, we were born there, even our great Redeemer, whose death and sufferings we are, this afternoon, celebrating, was born up in yonder world before he was born of the Virgin Mary. Now we're on Orson Pratt, Journal of Discourse, Volume 19, page 314. We are told that in the beginning man was created in the image of God, and we were also told that Jesus, the Son of God, was the express image of his Father. The doctrine that man in his form and shape is in the image of God may be or may seem something new and strange to those who are not acquainted with the principles in this church. But why should not men resemble God is the question. Seeing that we we are his offspring, would you expect that sons and daughters of this world would be like a horse or like the fowls of the air or the fish of the sea? Or 
would you expect them to resemble their parents and be like in their image and likeness? We, who compose this congregation, are all one family and only a very small portion of the family of our Father and God. But when did he beget us? I answered before this world was made, not our flesh and bones, but that being called man that was created in the image and likeness of God and who dwells in his mortal tabernacle. That being is the offspring of we were all begotten by him before this world was made. We then dwell in the presence, his presence, and could behold his face and as sons and fathers here on earth, can behold each other. We then partook in a measure of his glory and were acquainted with the glory and power of his kingdom. We were present with him in the grand and magnificent work of creation, and we saw and rejoiced in his handiwork. We sang praises in the presence of our Father and God before we had tabernacles of flesh and bones. <clears throat> Continuing on with John Taylor, Journal of Discourse, Volume 20, page 305. Such was the wickedness and corruptions of men in the early stages that was, it was necessary that God should sweep the face of the earth by a flood in order that men might be deprived of their power to do evil. I have heard some people say that they thought it was very hard for God to do such a thing. I think it would have been very cruel on his part if he had not done it. Why? Because man is a dual being associated with time and eternity, being in possession of a spirit as well as a body, and as God is the God and Father of the spirits of all flesh that ever did exist or will have a being on the earth, it was necessary under certain circumstances that he should operate in his judgment upon the wicked whenever they should become as corrupt as they did at that time. Why so? For God is the God and Father of the spirits of all flesh, and all flesh at that time had corrupted itself and would be just for those unborn spirits to have to come and <clears throat> inhabit bodies of those unclean and corrupt people and have to suffer the judgments of God. No, it was not just, and it would be very reasonable for them to say, Father, look at that world of people. See their crimes, their degradation, their iniquity, their theft and robbery, their murders and whoredoms and every kind of evil. They have left the good and have gone to the bad, and the imaginations and thoughts of their hearts are evil. Father, is it proper that we should have to go there and have it such low, fallen, degraded bodies as they possess and thus not have a fair chance upon the earth? No, says he, it is not, and I will destroy them and raise up another people. And hence he destroyed them. See also Journal of Discourse, Volume 24, page 291. <clears throat> We're now on page 78. Franklin D. Richards, Journal of Discourse, Volume 26, page 30, 343. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> <clears throat> that I can't mute my mic to cough. Why, as soon as the Lord has established his gospel and covenant, the spirits of the other world are seeking to come and dwell among us, that they desire they desire a parentage among the saints of the living God, where they can be uh, welcomed with filial love and not repulsed by foeticide? Foeticide? <clears throat> where they can be brought up in their fear, in the fear of God, with a hope of returning pure to the Father's presence without being lost by blood guiltiness or other crimes while in mortality. How do you think the spirits contemplate the necessity of a birth in the nations of the earth where so much harlotry and whoredom exists? I tell you, 
this very presumption of the country in which we live that we shall not have those children to dwell in our midst and bear the name of Christ in the earth is a presumption against the very heavens and against those spirits of the just who are waiting to be made perfect through their their sufferings in the flesh. Joseph Fielding Smith, Doctrines of Salvation, Volume 1, page 66. What did you say? Oh, nice. The Lord has said, Every spirit of man was innocent in the beginning, and God having redeemed man from the fall men became again in their infant state innocent before god this is speaking of the spirits of men when they were created or born in the spirit not when they were dwelling in the spirit world for one third of them rebelled and were not innocent when a child comes into this world he is innocent as far as this mortal life is concerned but children soon lose their innocence as they grow and come in contact with the world And then next time we'll be on Chapter 7, Different Grades of Intelligence on page 79 and 3,052 in Sign to the Nations. Actually, I thought you were done talking. Uh, Olivia was just laughing at you. What? Because when I told you that you're almost done, you went from, uh, you know, like talking really fast to like, Okay, I'm almost done. I know you've been up since 5.30 this morning, so you're tired, Mm -hmm. which doesn't give me an excuse because I woke up at 3 o'clock today, and I let the alarm clock go for like 20 minutes because I was like, no. I actually fell asleep in this chair that I'm sitting in. I woke up at 9.30 and went to bed. I know you were asleep when we left. I was like, bye, I love you, and I patted you on the shoulder. You did not wake up. How Emmett said I was asleep this morning. I, like, try to stay awake because, like, the only time I get to see my family is in the morning. But as soon as I, like, sit down, the timer starts and I die. <laughs> what, Emmett? Uh, who still wants grilled cheese sandwiches? I'm full. Mom does. <laughs> Excuse me. Anyway. So... All right, uh, we're done with the reading for today. Obviously, we're not going to be reading anything else because we're already in overdrive. I did want to say, for those of you who get my podcasts on the group Fundamentally Mormon, no, what group? It's Mormon Fundamentally <laughs> run by my friend Moroni Jessup, who has decided to let Ashley Rankin Ruth be a moderator there and let her do everything. Well, she decided to change the rules of the group, but she never added the new rule to the rules of the group, basically saying that um, you can only post once a day. Yeah. Anyway, I was like, um, all of these posts that I'm posting, except for the preexistence of Jesus Christ, is all old stuff. I'm just bringing them back up. Because, you know, there are things that I shared in the group like a year ago or two years ago or three or four or five years ago because I've been in the group for a long time. And I said, I'm not going to stop. So you can either stop it with your power trip or whatever. Anyway, she kicked me out of the group. So 
I'm not in that group anymore, which is fine because people ignore me in that group anyway. And she actually said, oh, I love your, uh, how does she say, excellent podcasts. My husband is new to Mormon fundamentalism, and we use your podcasts to teach him things, whatever. Um, I don't believe her. I don't believe her because nobody in that group knows what I claim. They see me posting things all the time, but nobody listens to them. And if they had listened to them, they would have been like, did you know that Mark thinks that he's this, that, and the other? The one might be unstrong, the prophet of God, blah, 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 whatever. But none of them ever say anything. They just ignore that because they ignore my posts. So I don't care if I'm in their group. And I'm really to the point where I don't care if I burn any bridges at this point because um, I'm going to continue to do this because God has asked me to do this. Or just like you're old and senile. <laughs> Ken says it's because I'm old and senile. That doesn't even make any sense. Anyway, but um, oh, Ar- Arius has decided to give himself tattoos with magic markers. Why does he have access to the markers? They should be in the garbage. If he can get a hold of them, they need to be in the garbage. I know I'm on the radio show. Kim says, tell everyone, bye-bye, night-night, love you. Anyway, um, I just... Uh, you know, I don't know why God chose me to begin with. I think he should have chose someone else, but he's smarter than I am, I guess. And maybe it's just the fact that I'm going to be blunt and rude, and I don't care what people think. You know, maybe that's why he chose me. I mean, when Joseph Smith, not Joseph Smith, when Jesus Christ said that he would send the comforter, and then he warned you that you can blaspheme against me, but if you blaspheme against him, there will be no forgiveness. That might be your sign, because I will be vindicated at some point, and you will know that I am exactly who I've been telling you I am the whole time. And all they who will not hear the words of that prophet, who I am, which is talked about in Acts chapter 3 and 23, who, and also Moroni told that to Joseph Smith, that that man is Christ, a Messiah, that he had not been rejected by his people. Well, Jesus had already been rejected by his people. It's not talking about him. And I can move this stuff out all kinds of different ways. But, you know, if you don't hear me and you don't listen, well, I, I told Ashley last night, I said, I hope for all of your sakes that I'm Looney Tune batshit crazy. But I hope I am. And I hope God forgives me if I am. But I can tell you, like I've, t- I've said before, um, there's too many things that God has showed me and too many external things which uh, God has revealed to me. And then there's just the people that know who I am that have never seen me before and they know who I am or the people that see light around me which has happened multiple times 
as I've been teaching them, the Shekinah glory of God comes around me, and I never know when it's going to happen. I can feel the anointing of God on me, um, but I never know who sees it. But sometimes people see it. There's been too many things, like with miracles and other things, that God has told me to do this, that, or the other, and the miracles that should never have happened, they're done. I'm telling you, I am who I proclaim to be. And I really wish I weren't. I wish I could just be the guy living in Emory County that did a podcast to just teach people about Mormon fundamentalism or the foundational teachings of the Restoration and how they've changed. I wish that was all I had to do. But I have more than that to do. I have to be a witness. I have to be a witness and tell you that I am a witness of the Father and the Son who I have seen face to face and that they have shown me and taught me many things, but also I'm a witness of the world and what's going on right now. And I'm also a witness of false prophets and Judas goats who are leading the people astray. And I'm just a witness. I can intervene somewhat by people who are led astray by these Judas goats and false prophets. They ought to be led astray. Because they're just a catch net. People who are entering or leaving the great and spacious building, before they get to the iron rod, they've got to go past the ministers and the preachers that are there to lead them astray. And if you make it past that and you make it to the iron rod, that's where I'll be. That's where I am. Anyway. The work of the Godhead is that the Father sends the Holy Ghost to bring you back into the presence of the Father. And without one of those steps, you don't come back into the presence of the Father. So, all right, well, we're going to be done with the program for today. My co-driver still has not called me. It's almost 9 o'clock at night. I don't even know if I'm going to be going to work today, which my wife loves it when I don't go to work. She loves it. And I like it, too, because uh, I don't ever get to be here with my family. So, all right, well, we'll be done with the program for today. Uh, When we come back on tomorrow, we'll be in Chapter 7. And I will try to get that live by 6 p.m. Mountain Standard Time, 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific. All right? Take care, everyone. God bless. Goodbye. 